0: In many ways, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is the ultimate Advent story. Advent is the season of preparation. It calls us to an inventory of our lives, and it contrasts what we find when we take that inventory with the hope that we have in Jesus the Christ. Advent invites us to see the darkness of the world and to reignite our longing for more of Jesus and for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. A Christmas Carol uh, is a story in which we're invited to look at some particular darkness in the world through the lens of a man who has done more than his share to add to that darkness. It's the character of Ebenezer Scrooge. For our Friday Night Film series, we chose the Muppet version of A Christmas Carol. Partly because it's more accessible to a younger viewing audience. And partly because it has Frank Oz as one of the puppeteers in the film. He was the puppeteer of Master Yoda in the original Star Wars films. So thank you for giving me that little fanboy moment. Now, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. What I hope to do today, like in the other weeks of Advent this year, is to point out some of the biblical themes and imagery from the film, particularly the themes that help us form our thoughts, our our minds, and our hearts during this Advent season. Now, out of respect for Dickens, I will also draw on some parts of the original story on which the film is based, because although Dickens had a rightfully contentious beef with the elitism of some of the parts of the Church of England, his writing is steeped in biblical quotes and concepts and allusions. Now, the first point I want to make, is actually summed up best in one of the songs unique to the Muppet version of the story. Let's take a look. Like the cold, he was hard and sharp as a flint, secret and self-contained, as solitary as an oyster. There goes Mr. Heartless, there goes Mr. Cruel. He never gives, he only takes, he lets his hunger cool. Scrooge is getting worse. Every day, in every way, Scrooge is getting worse. So in this scene, what we hear is the refrain, Scrooge is getting worse. Every day, in every way, he's getting worse. And here's the biblical concept. Formation matters. Human beings are creatures who are constantly learning. We're constantly being shaped and molded in the way that we think, and in the way that our bodies work, and how we feel about different scenarios. So take the body, for example. That's a pretty easy one. Before the pandemic, I was a lot more active day-to-day. I was meeting with people out in the community, I was riding my bike places and walking places, and, and hanging out with more of you from the church in person. My body was doing different things every day. But when everything moved to Zoom, I became, or at least I felt, sort of stuck. I thought I would be fine at first because I have a standing desk and I was able to sit some time and stand some time, but around the beginning of May, I developed debilitating back pain. The physical therapist told me that I had been shifting my weight when at the standing desk so much that my hips were all out of alignment, which threw everything off. It was the repetition of being in one place and practicing bad habits over and over again that hurt me. My body literally changed and contorted because of those repetitive practices. Now, the same is true in spiritual formation our habits form us. So, in Scrooge's case, we learn a few things about his life. We know that as a young boy, he was often neglected by his distant and harsh father. And from an early age, Christmas became a source of pain rather than a source of joy. It was a reminder to Scrooge of what he didn't have rather than reasons for celebrating relationships. Later in life, he meets Belle, his true love. But as time went on, we come to see that Scrooge was still living in fear, fear of poverty and fear of pain that comes when someone you place your trust in, someone you love, lets you down. In his case, it was his father. Now, without overpsychologizing the story, it seems obvious, right, that Scrooge chose a way to control his life rather than risk loving again. And in his mind, controlling his financial status was far less risky than placing his faith in another human being. Eventually, Belle came to see that she had lost his love, and he instead was placing his love in business. And so she releases him. And lets him go. And these choices and these consequences further formed the man Ebenezer Scrooge. He became colder and more focused on his income than on his relationships. And with each decision of greed over generosity and business over the business of being his brother's keeper, Scrooge was becoming a worse human being. And hence the Muppets are singing every day in every way he's getting worse. Formation matters. Our actions, our habits, investments of time and money, they all have a way of shaping us. The company we keep shapes us. The books we read and the media we consume shape us. And the biblical story shapes us in the right direction. Serving others and investing in the kingdom of God and time spent in prayer, it all shapes us. And the question is, How are the sum total of your usual habits shaping you? If you were to take the last six weeks or or even the last six months of your life and you were to continue in those same habits and in that same mindset that you're living in right now, what would the Muppets sing about you in the future, about who you're becoming? Would you be getting better as a person or would you find yourself on a trajectory farther and farther from Christ? Think of it this way. Jesus is the example of a fully human human. He was confident, yet not arrogant. He was strong, but he used his strength to serve others. He was a leader, but he was always obedient to the Father. He was generous and kind and smart and comfortable in his own skin. And he didn't seek power or riches, but he never lacked any good thing. And all of creation and all of the spiritual powers listened to his, his very word. He, they obeyed him. So when I say, are we becoming more or less like Jesus, we might think, is my present trajectory making me more and more alive as the scriptures portray the good life? Formation matters. And so does our life. The second Advent theme, A Christmas Carol, does a brilliant job of illustrating is that we are accountable for our lives. When Scrooge is haunted by the ghosts of the Marley Brothers, in the Muppet version there's two Marleys, and of course in the original there's just one Jacob Marley. Anyway, he sees his old colleagues weighed down by chains, and they come to tell him that each link in their chains is formed by an act of greed performed in their lives. The money boxes and heavy locks they used to protect their financial treasure in their lifetime became horrible burdens after their life because they refused to use their wealth for the good of other people. Only in death do they come to see the error of their ways. They're in a sort of hell condemned to roam the earth, forced to look upon starving children and horrible, inhumane circumstances, but forever unable to help. The Marleys provide a great illustration of the prison that we build for ourselves. It's not so much God punishing us as it is him allowing us to reap what we sow in life. The only grace given to the Marleys after death was the chance to warn their old colleague Ebenezer. Now, the Marleys had died seven years before this event in the story, and they go on to explain that Ebenezer's burden is far larger than theirs because he's had seven more years to build to the links of chain through his greed and his guilt. He's in a miserable condition. And in light of this horrible news, Ebenezer begs them to stop talking. He says, speak comfort to me. We don't like the truth very much, do we? Especially... When the truth hurts, like many of us, Ebenezer would rather have people cheer him up than tell him the truth. The scriptures warn that the church will have preachers and pastors who will come to tickle their ears rather than tell them the truth. But Advent is the season for truth telling. And one of the traditional Advent texts is the John the Baptist text where he's at the Jordan River in Luke chapter three. And even the people of God there, he's warning them, and he's telling them that they need to repent of their sin. And he says to these people, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that that is to come? Therefore, bear fruits with keeping with repentance. And then he says, The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Those are hard words to hear. Those are uncomfortable words. And yet they are loving words. Loving because if we don't deal in truth and reality, then we are as good as lost. It does not matter how fervently we believe something if it's false. Because if it's false, it will fail us. I got a black eye once when I was nine years old because I believed I was a Jedi in training. Fervently believed it. I invited my, th- my friend to throw these rocks at me, and I, would, I had a stick, and I would block them with the stick, so convinced of my mastery of the Force. Ebenezer asked for comforting words, but what he needed was the truth. The truth is that we're accountable for our actions. Yes, life is complicated. Yes, we might argue, Ebenezer had a horrible childhood, which created in him this defensive coping mechanism, which then sabotaged his relationships, which then formed the cold, financially conservative man that he became. And I believe God knows all of our stories, and I believe he takes into account our emotional handicaps and limitations. There's no doubt about that. But in general, we can only make excuses for so long. We can only blame our parents or our circumstances for what was done to us for so long in our life before we we need to handle and, and, and deal with those things. Are we willing to work on owning our past, on owning our decisions? Will we take the step of maybe seeking the help of a counselor or trusting in the transforming love of Jesus? Part of the horror of a squandered life is the guilt and regret that we live with. I have serious doubts about the accuracy of A Christmas Carol in portraying the afterlife. I, I don't particularly believe in ghosts, especially not as the general way that we will be in the afterlife or when we die. But the scriptures do warn us that there is a reckoning, a giving of accounts of our lives. What that looks like, I don't know for sure. Yeah, the story, A Christmas Carol, might not be biblically sound in portraying the afterlife, but it does expand my imagination. It makes me feel a sense of urgency, and it encourages me to take stock of my actions and attitudes. And if it does that, then it has done a very, very biblical thing in me, a very true thing inside of me. Now, the question I'm left with, though, is what can I do? So I've looked in the proverbial mirror, and I am shocked with the direction I'm going. I've looked into the past and have come to my senses. I've been haunted by old friends who warn me of my doom if I keep up my trajectory. But what can possibly be done? Well, we need salvation. Now when the Ghost of Christmas Past comes to visit Scrooge, she or it, they they, they come to bring welfare, is the word, to Scrooge. Now, he's a rich man, and he understands, or thinks he does, that since he's a rich guy, he doesn't need any of this spirit's welfare. So the spirit changes the wording and just says salvation, then. The spirit came to bring him salvation. Absolutely, that is what we need. We need rescue from the chains that bind us. But this is where Dickens and Jesus diverge a bit. In the Dickensian worldview, all we need is to come to our senses and to start living differently. We see Ebenezer's heart being broken as he remembers his youth and the love that he lost. We experience his heart being softened as he comes to realize that his harshness has impacted his loyal clerk, Bob Cratchit. And through his gift of paying attention, Scrooge is shown the incredible character of Tiny Tim whose generous spirit and thankful heart overwhelm Ebenezer Scrooge. And he's undone. He's broken hearted when he learns that if he doesn't change his ways, Tiny Tim is going to die. There's such powerful truth in this story. Our actions do have very real consequences on other people, more than we will possibly ever realize. And if we want to grow in compassion, then we do need to truly see people. We need to listen and to get in their shoes the best we can. We need to put ourselves in positions where we can learn from another's perspective that's different than our own. So whether that's trying to think about how a policy might affect someone from a different socioeconomic group, or how it might feel to be in a circle of friends or, or in our church as an ethnic minority or what it might be like to not have a home or the safety net of family and friends. Empathy and compassion are important values in the life and teaching of Jesus, and they ought to be for us, his followers, as well. But simply seeing the past and changing our ways is not enough. It is not enough for at least two reasons— First, even if it were possible for me to be perfect from this point on, which no one is claiming it is, then I am still accountable for all of those people I've hurt up to this point. Even if Scrooge, who's quite past his prime in this story, even if he had turned a new leaf and started to live generously and kindly, what of all the people that he had evicted from their homes into the cold London winters? What of all the people who had to choose mortgage over feeding their children for years and years and years, watching them die or starve of malnutrition? What of those who literally died or had their marriages fall apart due to to pressures and stress put upon them because of Scrooge's greed? And what of all those that he could have helped but chose not to? Who is going to pay all of those debts? Now, true, if it were possible for someone to completely change without the help of Jesus, their life might become generous and good. But no good deeds can undo the past. Someone would have to pay for all of that. There would be a reckoning. And this leads us to the second issue with Dickens' worldview. He seems to think that if Scrooge could only see, if he only knew what his life was doing to other people, if he only had a warning— Then he would change his ways. But Jesus is more skeptical than that, or at least more realistic as I choose to think about it. For example, in Luke 16, he tells this parable about two different men. One was a nameless, wealthy man, and the other was a man named Lazarus. Not the same Lazarus, uh, who's the historical Lazarus and the friend of Jesus. Anyway, the Lazarus in the story was this poor and afflicted man. He had skin lesions all over his his skin, and, and he used to sit at the gate of the rich man's house, the rich man's estate, and he would beg for scraps of food and just whatever he could get. And day after day after day, the rich man walked past him and paid no attention to him. The dogs who tormented him and licked his sores paid more attention to Lazarus than to this other man who was his brother in humanity then both men die and the rich man was in a sort of hell and the poor man was in the bosom of abraham and the rich man saw lazarus in comfort and in peace and he begged abraham to go to send someone to warn his five brothers who were still alive to warn them of the wrath to come so that they might change their ways and abraham says hey they they've got the law and the prophets They have the word of God. If they don't listen to that, then they aren't going to listen to some ghost if I send it their way. They're not going to even listen to someone if they rise from the dead. If you spend your lifetime forming your habits to be greedy and selfish, one night of ghost stories is not likely to remake you. Oh, it it might sober you up for a few days. It, It might even last weeks or months or years. But without transformation of the heart the change is not likely to stick. So what does it take? It takes intervention from outside of ourselves. Dickens is close to spot on on this one. What's more supernatural than spirits coming to guide Ebenezer. But the scandal of the events that Advent points toward is the incarnation, not just spirits coming to guide us. It's not about just helping us change our ways. It's about dealing with the wake of destruction we've inflicted on creation and on each other for millennia. We need God. And God came in the person of Jesus. And this is the great hope that Advent points toward. In the book and in the film, Tiny Tim is a sort of Christ figure. He's small and weak. He's faithful and kind. He's full of gratitude. And yet, as the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53 says... He has no stately form that we should look on him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we did not esteem him, and surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. The lowly tiny Tim was able to melt the jaded heart of Ebenezer. Who could expect to be threatened by Tiny Tim? And in the same way, the all-powerful God of the universe came to us with our skeptical minds and our calloused hearts and became vulnerable. Who's afraid of a baby? What love! What mystery that God would do that! It sounds ridiculous! Dickens may have left Jesus out of the story but the result is the same scrooge wakes up the next morning a new man his heart is full of joy his chains are gone he's born again in fact in the book dickens pens this line for scrooge he says i don't know anything i'm quite a baby never mind i don't care i'd rather be a baby hello whoop hello world and he's just giddy like a, like a little child Oh, that Christ would convict our hearts and transform them this Advent. Oh, that those who are burdened by the chains of sin might be set free by the power of Jesus. May he be born afresh in us, that we might be born again in him.